Welcome to Do I Need Therapy? Get ready to receive valuable mental health tips and enjoy open conversations about life and love and when you need to ask for help. Let's reduce the stigma. I'm your host, Dr. April Landell, your go-to therapist for today's modern day. My guest experts and I are here to inspire you along your mental health journey and remind you, you are not alone. Hey family, this is Dr. April Andell, your friendly neighborhood psychotherapist, which is just a fancy way of saying I talk to people all day long about what matters most to them. HP crazed, right? Love April. This is great. Dr. April is excellent and her voice is so soothing. I always tune into her for really good, sharp mental health tips on Instagram, but finally she has a podcast so I can listen when I'm out and about. I subscribed right away. Listen to a couple of episodes and I love the energy of the show. It's fun and vibrant and still full of great information, especially episode two. Thank you, HP Crazed. I appreciate the kind words and please feel free to share to your friends and family you know could benefit from listening to the show. And if you want to be a part of the family and hear your review on the air, just go to Apple Podcasts, go to the show page where you see my picture, scroll all the way down to the stars, put in your star rating and submit your written review. And perhaps your review will be picked for the shout out next week. So I am so glad to have you. We've got a fun and special guest today, a musician, a blogger, an author. We've got Alan C. Paul in the house. Are you with me? Yes, I am, Dr. Andell. So glad to be here. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. I've been waiting to interview you for a little while, but let me go ahead and introduce you to the family so they can know about you as well. So family, just wanted to introduce you to our guest. We have got Alan C. Paul. He's an author, a blogger, and a public speaker who shares his insights through multiple media channels. And in his work, he covers themes ranging from faith and lifestyle, of course, all the way to family and career. He's the creator and brainchild behind the popular podcast, God and Gigs. And with a music background, Alan understands the importance of artistic expression. As an entrepreneur who is very active in his church, he understands the challenges facing creative artists reaching for success while maintaining their faith. So Alan, again, welcome to the show. Well, thank you again for having me. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen after few missteps and things like that. I tried to stop it, but uh, you can't keep a good podcast down, which yours certainly is. <laughs> and so thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. So family out there, it took us a minute just to be able to deliver this to you, but we made it. We made it through. This was absolutely meant to be, and I'm so glad to have you here. Let's just dive right in. And I wanted to first just ask a little bit about you. We've got you on here because you're a creative, you're a musician, just contributing to the world. But who are you? Who is Alan? Where are you from? Let's get a little backstory, shall we? Okay. Well, when you name all those things, I always like to start (laughs) like I'm a jack of all trades and hopefully master of some. And uh, Mm. that's really the goal behind my life. I'll quickly give you the four words that I always use to start when I try to introduce myself. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a creative, and I'm forgiven. Mm. That is kind of like what encapsulates my life. But to give the details, um, as I mentioned, husband of 24, almost 25 years to my wife, Leah, father of three children, 
Christopher, Marcus, and Naomi, all adults, all still spending money. Uh, one of them out of the house, <laughs> two of them still in the home. But my that's my pride and joy uh, of all of my family. Uh, raised in Northwest Florida and uh, became a musician down there, played in church with my mom who taught me how to play the piano and then played in church there. Came down to mm -hmm. Miami for a uh, for my music degree in jazz studies, jazz piano, music, music education. And uh, winding path took me into teaching in public schools to being a full-time minister of music to being a part-time everything. <laughs> and now <laughs> and that winding road uh, through becoming a gigging artist, I guess you could call a gigging artist, someone that plays freelance gigs after being a full-time minister of music led me to figure out what did this life actually encapsulate with being in the middle of faith, being in the church my whole life, but also now playing secular, quote unquote, secular gigs and working with musicians and artists all over the place. So I just realized there was going to be, need to be some support for me. And I wrote and worked on a platform that I thought I needed, which is mm -hmm. now the Guiding Gigs platform. So that's kind of like my life in a nutshell, what I've, uh, what I've, you know, trying to do now to help other creators like myself. Oh my goodness, Alan. Okay. So there are so many things, so many questions that I had in there. So many, um, Wow. And you started with an amazing one, but let me just share with the family really quick. So Alan is creator and host of God and Gigs, which is how I found out about him first. And he's talking out there to creatives, to those of us who have figured out how to just kind of break the mold and go out and share our, our talent, share our skills and our, our light in this particular sense. It's the music. Um, and it's just so inspirational. I got to say that I've added it to my cues on a regular basis, Alan. Every single episode, I just, I get something really special in its wow. return. So for that, for that life statement that you shared going from one, <laughs> one amazing thing all the way to the next and to the creation of your podcast, it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you so much. And I, I have to tell you, it really is, you know, everything sounds like a cliche until you realize it's true. And, um, and it really has been a faith walk and a grace walk, but that's because all the paths that I followed were without knowing it preparation for the next one. So my time of, you know, being a jazz school and learning, you know, the, 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 the world of the musician, the world of the professional musician was preparation for eventually teaching other musicians how to handle it. My preparation in church was in preparation for eventually helping other people navigate through church and ministry. And I didn't know it at the time. I was struggling myself, and I'm still struggling myself to figure <laughs> it out. But it's just amazing how, you know, obviously coming from a, a, a faith perspective, how each season was, you know, prepared in advance before I knew I was walking through that preparation. And wow. it just learned, you just learn eventually that you have to just dive into stuff before you're ready because someone else is going to come to you in the same boat. Like, I have no idea. I'm swimming, you know, without a paddle or in a boat, in a boat without a paddle. And you have to help them because you were in a boat without a paddle at one point. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's my life. My life has been constantly jumping into things where, you, you know, I just kind of get pushed and you have to jump in and before you're ready, before you're ready, mm -hmm. always before you're ready. Absolutely. Just to go back on one of the stellar points that you said, just from the very beginning, you said husband. 
and that had 24 years behind it. Please share a little bit more. Uh, this we, we would love to know about this because that's just beautiful. Okay, thank God this is a solo podcast and my wife does not have to, she can hear it and she can critique me <laughs> afterward. Um, my, Leah, I, I like to say this, and again, coming from a therapy standpoint, I think you'll appreciate this. I tell people all the time that I'm, a, I'm on my third marriage to the same woman without a divorce, mm. okay? Mm. I've, we have gone through seasons. Yes. And I can say this again, because coming from therapy, having to walk through this and realizing how much I did not know <laughs> that I did not know through that time, but we got married. I'll just give you the quick story. Uh, I was in college. I was just, I was a senior in college or actually just graduated from college. And she was in her, her uh, second year, sophomore year, we're, we're, we're dating, uh, got really serious, really fast. And uh, I, she said no the first time I asked her to get married. Because <laughs> uh, she's like, no. And uh, we did have a, uh, we did experience parenthood right away. Mm-hmm. We, we were just one of those kind of those marriages that weren't supposed to work because we got married supposedly under just duress, under the wrong situation. We didn't really know each other, didn't really know ourselves. And, you know, God just blessed us with enough patience with each other to survive <laughs> growing up and raising kids while trying to learn ourselves. And so wow. when I say that about her, I'm not saying like, oh, she changed and I'm saying she grew as a woman, as a person, and she watched me grow as a person, as a man. And we learned somehow Mm -hmm. that that process is what marriage is. It's supposed to be us learning each other as we learn ourselves. And if we hadn't been able to walk through that through, obviously, as I mentioned, counseling and our churches and our people that loved us and and really kept us kind of wound together where we wanted to go like this, it wouldn't have happened. And by the way, I'm on a podcast, I know, but I'm moving my hands apart. it, yeah, there was so much in terms of life and stress that wanted to do that. And thank God it hasn't happened. And we're still together after this many years. Thank God. And amen, because, you know, your example is just a beautiful love story. And as a therapist who counsels couples, a lot of people forget that part of the journey of a relationship is the fact that you are growing together. And you may not know everything about each other on the initial. And actually, that's okay. Sometimes that can actually be a major plus because then it's always interesting as you work really hard, you put in the effort to continue to learn about each other, whether it is you at age 25 or you at age 40. That's part of that constant ongoing continuous process inside of a relationship. So I really love that, that, that testimony <laughs> of your Thank relationship you. together. Mm-hmm. The backstory, yep. you heard it on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and she heard it too. So yeah, hopefully I did. I hopefully I did. <laughs> right. She'll, she'll let me know after this is out. It all approved. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you also said you are a father. So I'd love to hear about that as well. Yes. Uh, say the three kids. <laughs> And uh, I, I joked with my wife before I got on, I said, I'm going to be an open book. I'm probably going to say way too much. It's going to be a TMI. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have to send her a check after this. But um, the uh, the backstory is my oldest son was born when I was 17 years old. I was uh, what they would say a teenage mm-hmm. father. Again, should have been a statistic. And um, I'll tell you this uh, to the listeners again, coming from a place where I was raised, you know, to to take care of my responsibilities, to take care of my child, it was, there was no question I was going to take care of my child, but I want to be very open and transparent here. One of the hardest decisions mm-hmm. I ever made was to come to Miami for college. And my son was with his mom and uh, realizing what my father said to me at the time is that you will not have the resources to take care of that child if you don't get your education. 
And it was one of the hardest decisions I ever made, but my father was right. I had to get in a place where uh, later on, you know, my son did come to live with me and I did have the opportunity to co-raise him with his mom and he's now 29 years old. So that's my oldest. And again, a story of fatherhood that I don't get to tell much is Mm -hmm. how I walked through that, walking through, again, a lot of drama, a lot of drama (laughs) that I'm probably still unpacking, but it was worth it. And then of course, my other two children. Same mm-hmm. deal. They came before we were ready. I think my, my wife and I had them 18 months apart <laughs> and uh, we're in our, we're in our twenties. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're in our twenties. You had little tw- babies all at the same time. Oh my yes, goodness. In your yes. early twenties. Wow. In my early twenties. Mm-hmm. I was 23 with a, a, a wife, three kids and a mortgage. And, uh, wow. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on? So yeah, it's just really a lesson again in how God prepared me without preparing me, you know what I mean? Like by saying, hey, you're going to have this, you're going to need to rely on other people and other things. And again, I I know it's like, like I said, I'm long winded, but that's what the story is. Like as my fatherhood is again, learning on the job, learning, learning on the go, which I think every parent can relate to, but you don't realize until you're doing it. And again, mm-hmm. thank God that my young adults now are, 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 are happy and healthy. One just graduated yesterday or had a ceremony. He's class of 2020, but he had a ceremony yesterday from FIU. And Beautiful. just being able to see these things come to pass after years and years of, of, of trial and error with these kids. But they're wonderful, wonderful human beings. Oh, well, congratulations for that success and going through, you know, those trials and those fires and those challenges and staying true through it. And I know that your faith was a really big part of that throughout the journey. So I know that we're going to talk about that today, but just, you know, congratulations to as a father, as a husband, as a leader of a family. I sincerely appreciate that again, my wife and I both, because again, it's a team, it's a team effort and everybody that's been in my life, you know, again, there's two, not enough time in any podcast to thank all the people that made that possible. <laughs> Certainly was not just me. Take but the yeah, village. Take the yeah. village, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I know that, you know, those are some major, major ones. And then you, you headed down to Miami. That was another thing that we had in common because Miami is my hometown and then uh, education, but you also stepped into being a musician. How did that start? And what do you play? Because I've been actually really curious about this. I'm a pianist. That's the only instrument I can play. There's, a, there's several of my <laughs> friends that are like, you know, drummers and keyboardists and guitar. They play everything. I have one job. <laughs> one thing I handle. <laughs> it has 88 keys on it. It's black and white. I know what they do and I can handle that. Not a, not, nothing else. Played a little bit of, I think, um, uh, low brass in high school. That's it. So one, one instrument. And uh, I became a pianist as my, as I think I mentioned, my mom taught me. I think I was, Mm -hmm. I don't know, two years old. My mom says I started banging on the piano. My mom played in her church. She was brought up playing piano and she's a music teacher still in her seventies. And Mm -hmm. she started me on piano and that's where I stayed. I just fell in love with the instrument. Really, again, don't really know another life other than exploring and and expressing myself through the piano. Um, You know, my, my email address, my personal one for years and my, everything was AP 88 keys. Like I didn't know another identity. (laughs) I didn't know another identity outside of the piano. And Mm -hmm. I mean, again, I I embraced that. Thank God. Now I've expanded where I realized there's more to life than just being a musician, but there's so much in being a musician that formed who I am and Mm -hmm. my fellow musicians that formed who they are. And we really base as artists, a lot of our identity and our purpose and our meaning behind the way we connect with these instruments. So for me, yeah, from high school, college, um, you know, everything was centered around 
that one particular instrument, how am I going to express myself? How can I, you know, obviously mm. make a living and, you know, really just, just make music a part of my everyday world as that's what ended up, ended up happening. And, you know, that's actually really important. I think that's a, a missing piece that's coming up a lot. I mean, luckily we're still having so many creatives coming out from our new generation, what these Gen Y Gen Z's and everything. And they're realizing how special music is, especially when you are the creator behind it. I love that you had that from a very early age. And I would like to share, I, I did too. I was introduced okay. to music very early. There's always music in our house, always music. So we were always um, big audiophiles for music. And um, in particular, our, our home, because I'm Caribbean, our home always had reggae, always. Oh. <laughs> always had reggae, especially on Christmas. Every Christmas was, you know, it's not the traditional songs and everything it was always it was reggae it was bob playing you know well we <laughs> so. have we have some more com uh, in common now that i'm married into a caribbean family i'm caribbean by by marriage so uh, uh -huh. yes yes that Lucky I, have, you. I, I have had that yes <laughs> i am thank god for thank god for Aki and selfish and everything else so yes um, so my my musical taste expanded <laughs> clearly when i got married and uh i love what you said about music being a part of the house because i have a lot of students come to me as uh, sorry uh parents come to me and they ask the same question. Well, what should I do? Should, mm. should I be doing for my child? Should I be putting them in formal lessons? And my answer always is just keep music around them. Keep the instruments around them. They don't necessarily have to become musicians, become the next Bruno Mars mm -hmm. or the next anything. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. they just need to be exposed to it. And then if there's great creative talent, they will seek it out because you've put it in front of them. So I love that you, right. you said that as a, as a child that you always had it around. And I think that's for a lot of us, it's just the point about the arts being part of humanity. It's not just this ivory tower thing where just a few people get it. And we all have creativity inside of us where we just need to be around it to realize we can access it. Exactly. It's like the, just making sure that you you have the exposure to it, that you see that this is, this is a life. This is something very special and very, very unique or heart focused, you know? So I'm, I'm really glad that that you identify with that as well, because when I was in uh, my home listening to this, I didn't realize that I ended up being such a music lover. And I ended up playing several instruments when I was younger. I played the piano as well. So I was also 88 keys, okay. very much so all throughout <laughs> my young adult and, and high school. And um, I got to, a, I was really good. I got to a very good point and then I just stopped because I hit a brick wall. Mm. Uh, this wall of where I just couldn't get through. It's like, I couldn't be fully fluent. And then I just halted and then everything shifted because I went to college. So that's a whole other story, but I can still play. Not great. <laughs> I can still play Fury Elise, like you would not believe, but right. you know, cause that's, you know, that's to everybody out there, family. Fury Elise is one of the, one of those pieces that you are trained on <laughs> yeah. as a, as a pianist, as a new pianist. So I also played the clarinet and I had a huge love for strings. And one thing that I always regret, and I'm trying to figure out how to pull back into my life is cello. Oh, I, beautiful I have this love for cello. Yeah. I, but I didn't realize it until I became an adult, how much it's, it's, it's tonality and it's depth draws to me. Um, so out to the family, I just want to say, I have this goal to learn how to play cello by the time I'm done with this life. So just remember, it, you, it's, it's not done for you. If you've ever wanted to learn an instrument, it can always be done and achieved. You just got to put the goal 
in the priority list. So we can all be like Alan C. Paul out here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You could be better than me. And that's the key. You've already mentioned it, that you, you have the goal. And I do have such admiration for my adult students, for people who come to me in their 60s and 70s and say, I want to learn this instrument. I want to learn to play this song. I want to play this for my retirement. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter what stage of life, because you don't have to do it to be on the stage. You do it because it's something you love, because it feeds your soul and your spirit. And you can look all over the internet and find, you know, places where you can learn online. Technology is your friend now. And Mm -hmm. it just really helps. Again, the most important piece that it touches the part of you that that can just express life and love for, you know, art without having a purpose necessarily to make money or to do this or to do that. It's really just about expressing who you are. I encourage you to do that. Thank you. Thank you. I, that is one of my, my bucket list goals for sure. But, you know, but I love that you keep the piano in your life. So family out there, this is another reminder. It's never too late and you do it for you. You do it for your soul. Like I, like you said, and I love how you did that. And for me, it's like part of the things that keeps my mental health well. So if you don't mind, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and just talk about you some more. So I have this message on here about the process of therapy and the process of staying mentally well. Um, I know that you have this message out to your community. How does this message of mental health and wellness kind of just show up inside of what you do and how you work with your clients and your community on gods and gigs? Wow. So, so much to that I could share, but I guess I could start with my, as you mentioned, me putting myself as, as the, um, you know, on the hot yeah. seat in terms of the example, I have to lead by example. And the first thing would be transparency and who I am and what, why I am where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the quickest way is simply the, the list of <laughs> things that are wrong with me, things that I've, that I've contended <laughs> with, but, you know, having dealt with ADD, um, depression and anxiety mm-hmm. and, um, and at, at one point suicidal thoughts, those are all mm-hmm. part of my story. So the fact mm-hmm. that I'm speaking now about that freely shows that I had to even come to grips with the fact that here's something in my life that I need to be aware of and deal with and not sweep under the rug or not hide from. So that first as a man and a person before I talk about as a creative or as a Christian, it's just part of my human experience. It's just, I faced some issues that I needed to deal with. And just like I needed to go to an optometrist to have my eyes checked or a dentist to get my teeth looked right. at, I needed mm-hmm. to go to a therapist and um, going to psychiatrist and to psychologists. You know, I've been to them because I had situations with my mind, with my thinking, with my thoughts. I went to people who were trained in that. Thank you so much for being open with that. I also ask, you know, where are you on this? Do I need therapy journey? Pre, post? I'm I'm current, uh, currently searching, actually. (laughs) I, um, my Mm -hmm. last therapist was instrumental in what I mentioned in our marriage, uh, instrumental in helping me to, 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 to get through a season that we were struggling with and that I was struggling with personally. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That was about two, three years ago. So unfortunately I kind of dropped off on that. And now I've been basically post pandemic trying to figure out how to get back to him and or another therapist so I can continue my studies. But the most important thing that he said, and I believe in, I've heard you say on your show too, is that we don't need to wait for trauma. We don't have to wait for the crisis. I've often gone back to therapy in times of crisis, uh, whether it was with my family or with myself personally couples therapy for my children as well. Mm -hmm. And then personally, so I've always ended up going at, you know, when the walls are falling down and when everything's falling apart. And now I realize I need to go as a part of maintenance, as a regular checkup, as therapy to heal what's continually going on versus waiting for something bad to happen. So that's where I am. I'm, I'm definitely a, yes, I need therapy. 
um, just looking to get back into it. We share that a lot on the show. Yes, you don't have to wait for you know everything to fall and drop to go to therapy. It's something that's going to be preventative to you. Right. When you find the right fit and you have that resource additional to um, share what's going on in your life, have a unique, unbiased perspective as well, it really can change the game. And I love that you went for couples counseling. That's one of the most popular that people do find therapy for. But I invite couples to go before then, you know, go during life changes. And on top of that, you had mentioned um, the struggle with ADD and mm -hmm. depression. And I know that that's really something that's prevalent um, amongst, you know, our community, our population. Yeah. But on top of that, um, you're also a creative. And I was wondering if any of that is connected, is any of that related inside of what you experience? Well, that, that is such a, as you know, a huge topic and a huge question. And there's been a couple of, I'll, I'll, I'll go on purpose in two different directions because this is the way it's kind of been in my life as well. I have gone both sure. inside of creatives do have what seems to be a predisposition toward emotional, what I call emotional fervor, the ups mm -hmm. and downs and being able to, and trying to almost medicate through our creativity and I think oftentimes because we feel things, because we, 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 we feed off emotion when it comes to art, sometimes that same inability to express it ourselves or understand it ourselves, internalizing other people's emotion can turn around and bite us and we don't know how to process it. And so that can turn mm. into a depression. It can turn into all these negative things that you hear about then, you know, people who are creatives and you know, the Van Goghs of the world and, you know, where it's they're the tortured artists. The mm -hmm. flip side of that is, I believe that is a becoming sort of a myth that we perpetuate that if I'm tortured and I'm struggling, that means I'm more artistic. I'm more creative. This has to come upon me because mm -hmm. I, the art requires me to be so to struggle with it. And that I, I fight against. I don't believe that the identity of the creative should be linked to negative mental health. That is where I say, while there may be some parts that lean that direction, it definitely should not be the, the status quo for, for all God. creators. That is a really interesting perspective to have from inside the community. You don't have to have the depths of your creativity reached through just going through the struggle. Like this is like a part and a requirement yeah. <laughs> for, how it's, for how it comes out. I really like that perspective because I'm always wanting to you know, teach and share that you can always have long lasting positive mental health. And that can also be a part of what taps you into that deep creativity as well. I don't think I've ever heard anybody explain it quite like that. So family out there, hopefully that was something meaningful to you. If you're a creative, uh, hopefully not a tortured artist, right? Right. <laughs> hopefully not a struggling artist. We know that artists and creatives just in general, there's always the point of when you're working on your talent versus being discovered or finding your outlet or figuring out exactly what you are to do with that talent. The struggle doesn't have to be the main event of that story. I like the way you put that exactly. Not the main event. It doesn't have to be the, the, the thing that drives it because I believe, again, that's where just again, speaking personally about me, that's where the unhealthy habits end up going. When yeah. I can't relate it through the piano, when there isn't an audience, well, where do I go? Well, then I go possibly to unhealthy things that either mindsets or behaviors that messed me up. 
And it didn't help my creativity or my life or my wife, or it didn't help any mm. of us. It didn't help me because I was trying to find a way to handle these emotions. And it wasn't until I went to therapy and learned how to talk about my feelings, how to journal, how to actually relate outside of my creative gift and just be a, a human being with healthy ways to deal with these things that didn't have anything to do with being on a stage that I actually got a way to figure it out. So I think that's, again, so important what you just said. Yes, there'll be pain. Yes, all of us have trauma. Yes, creators tend to find joy and beauty and ways to process this, but that doesn't have to be the main event or the main mm -hmm. crux of the story. You can still be a healthy human being and still be able to process these things while, you know, also having the creative gifts. So thank you for like even putting, I'm going to borrow that and put that in my, my, my tweet for um, um, please follow because that is so true. It doesn't need to be the main event of your story. Hey, tweet away. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then I guess two, two questions that I have off of that. One is, I'm curious with what was your biggest lesson from therapy? There's one question. And then the other question was, how did you handle your ADD and your depression? So kind of broad, but, you know, let's go, let's get into it. Sure, sure. Okay. The biggest lesson uh, was, was three words um, from my, my most recent therapist, and it was use your words. <laughs> Use, Use your, your words. words. <laughs> it sounds so elementary, and 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 like most most um you know therapy receivers, I received it in about the way you can imagine. Like, excuse mm -hmm. me. Um, mm -hmm. and then I realized he's exactly right. I had not learned how to use my words, whether it's speaking to myself or speaking to my 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 loved ones on how mm. I really felt and actually express it versus act it out. And the way that my therapist told me at the time was very, again, hit hard, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Toddlers and people that cannot express themselves use their emotions and their actions and their tantrums and things to express mm -hmm. what they cannot put into words. And that's what I was doing through my behaviors. And so at 40 years old, 40 something years old, I had to learn the lesson all over again to use <laughs> my words. This is the lesson. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that was the absolutely the biggest one. Um, I mean, there have been several, but that's the one that sticks out. And also that speaks to this whole aspect of emotional intelligence is how are we able to manage our emotion and then be self-aware on how we handle that for ourselves and then in interaction with others. So I love that that was the lesson that you took away. And I do find that this is a lesson that men have to learn. No doubt, I, I have clients where women have to learn this as well. So I'm not just you know pointing fingers, but I do find that is something that we, we don't teach our men as well as we teach our women. And we should be doing that better. So family out there, if you are a parent or a friend or a family of a young boy out there. Let's give them these lessons because it's really important to teach them how to, yes, use your words, identify the emotion, state it. I feel, insert words, sad, frustrated, upset, angry, disappointed. Actually recognize title and then express the emotion and then move forth from there. It really has the ability to truly benefit communication and that interaction in a moment. Very true. I agree hundred percent. Thanks for sharing that lesson. So you're also saying about the ADD, the depression, how that, how you've been right. handling it so far. Well, long, the long story short, again, of course, all these are long stories. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the ADD was, um, I originally treated medically. Um, I did take prescriptions for a little while and then went ahead and started to move off of that in my thirties. 
Um, mm-hmm. Now I believe I could, it's definitely a awareness type, uh, emotional type of a management system that I've developed that I really now I'm more aware of where I go and how the systems I needed to build into my life. I just decided that systems would be the best way to do it. But I've always treated it again as a three pronged. Um, it's not just one thing I should say. It's not just medicine. It's not just a therapy. It's not just faith. It's all three of those. And of course, the systems I put in my life so that it helps me to stay organized and help me to see when I'm going off the rails when it comes to ADD. Mm-hmm. Depression, mm-hmm. same thing. I, um, I am much more aware of, of where I go and how those triggers happen in my life that take me down those roads because of years and years of going down those roads and just saying, okay, if I see or feel or notice those same patterns in my right. life, it is just, again, and sadly to say, it's experience that has taught me where to go so that I avoid those holes. Or if I go in, like midway into the hole, I can still say, okay, I've got to take this pathway out. But it was after falling several times all the way down the hole that you finally mm-hmm. realize how to, oh, wait, if I just grab onto this branch on the way down, I there won't fall all the way down. So it's not that it's, you know, 100% even keel, never fall. It's when you start to slip, realize where to grab, where the where the foothold is or where the handhold is to not fall all the way down the rabbit hole. And that's that's kind of what my process has been. And of course, again, therapy and things like that, when that's been necessary in my, my church and my faith, mm-hmm. realizing where those holds are and grabbing them immediately, <laughs> immediately, immediately before I go too far down the hole. Right. That's the effort. That's the effort your mental health takes. So one thing I always share, and the, the research is sharing that um usually it's one in four adults experience mental health challenge. And of those one in four, at least half experience that between the ages of 22 and 26. Mm. And, and that's deep. That's, that's really deep right there. Because you start to realize that even in your early 20s, you're supposed to be living it up. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I going through this struggle? What is wrong with me? And the thing is that nothing is wrong with you. What's actually happening is that you have a mental health sensitivity that you have to be paying attention to. So you fall down that hole and you have to just kind of take topography, just map it, understand what it is. What does that hole look like? How far does it go down? Where are those branches? How do I get the foothold so that you can recognize it when you go back up? And then when, not if, yeah, yeah <laughs> but when, when it pops up again, because you can't control the life, you know, how life comes about you and comes at you. All you can control is how you handle and how you respond to it so that you don't fall, like I said, or excuse me, like you said, down the rabbit hole. I really like that. You grasp as at whatever that you can. So therapy is a, is a coping for you. Music is a coping for you. I know your family's there for you. And then you have this amazing outlet of God and gigs and Please tell us, how did this come about? It's such a beautiful message, you know, of creatives and believe in God and it's a part of their work. How did this come to being? Wow. So that entire world, like you just mentioned, that world is, again, kind of like where all of these weird paths that I took combined in a, in a in what, again, a, a, obviously a God-directed manner, I believe. Uh, the short part of it is that I needed help. I was leaving my full-time mm-hmm. job as a minister of music. Um, one, that's another story in itself on how that happened. But I basically <laughs> uh, handed in my resignation letter to my pastor as he was handing me my promotion to associate, senior associate. So basically it was, mm-hmm. you're being promoted. I'm like, no, I've got to go. So 
that's a story in itself. That's when I went into the, the gigging lifestyle back to going to a teaching and learning freelancing all over again. And I just realized that most of the people I'm following, all these people that are, you know, playing with the Beyonce's and the Justin Timberlake's and the Bruno Mars of the world, the backing musicians, the session musicians, the guys playing at the hotel, playing at the bar, 90% of them were going to church on Sunday morning and then going back out to the gigs. And it was like this hidden secret, like nobody, <laughs> don't, don't tell anybody where I was last night kind of thing. It felt like that. And I just said, well, why is that the case? And I started writing a pamphlet, writing a book to myself or to other people like me who had no idea how to navigate being in a secular, again, I use quotes because I always think secular is kind of like a, 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 a easily misrepresented word, but for the sake of this podcast, a secular environment, not playing Christian music to playing Christian music. I gotcha. wrote it to, I wrote a pamphlet to them and that pamphlet became, you know, behind me, the book, that book then became a podcast. And I continued to try to help creators to build a better life from the inside out. It's not just faith, but faith is a core component, but it's also the practical faith and practice mm. of being a better creative so that you can bless more people, be more healthy, be more happy, and be more be more uh, successful. That the, the truth is true success, not just financial or being on top of a Billboard chart or being you know having a million downloads of your song. More being a healthy creative that really loves what they do and can also right. make a living doing what they do. Right. And I saw that you didn't just write one book. Well, the, the main book is Guiding Gigs, and then there's three resources that go along with it. There's a study guide, there's a devotional. Uh -huh. And a, uh, also a free book I call it Break Through the Block. It's free on Amazon. So that's like the fourth. So I call it like one one real book, right? It's a real book. And then three resources that go along. The real book. You're so yeah. funny. But you don't worry, family. I'm going to have a link for you on the show notes page so that you guys can find it as well. And I wanted to just note one thing in particular. As a therapist, I've been doing this for a really long time, almost a decade now. And inside of that experience, I would share that one of the most difficult client populations that I find, it's not that they don't recover, but they take so much longer to recover. It, it, it's, it's much more of a struggle. It's more challenging. They have a harder time with figuring out that internal change are my clients who, who don't believe. My clients who don't have a faith system, whether it's with God, with Buddha, with the universe, they don't have something. It's, it's really, it's that evident. Every single time I have a client who doesn't have a faith, their struggle is that much harder. Does, does that make any kind of sense? I absolutely think it makes sense. And I, 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 it's always dangerous, as you know, as a, as a professional, you know, it's always dangerous to get your studies from Facebook. But uh, but uh, I did catch a study which sounds really good. So if it's true, please fact check me if it's not true. But I saw a study that said that um, that the uh, scientists started to use rats to figure out stamina and whether and their, their 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 sense of being able to like overcome obstacles. And they would put these rats in water and watch them to see how long they would try to swim before they drowned. Very very morbid stuff. But they apparently would then take the rat out right before they got exhausted, give it a rest and then put it back in the water to see how long it would go. And so average, I think the average was, mm -hmm. again, I'm just, this is just Facebook knowledge, y'all, so forgive me. But apparently the, the rats that did not ever get rescued would go about 15 minutes then drown. The rats that were taken out a few minutes before, rescued and then put back in, lasted 60 hours. Wow. And it just, I'm telling you, again, fact check me. 
but it speaks to the power of faith and belief and hope that there is somebody that is going to rescue you. How much longer can we last, as you just mentioned, when we know there's somebody, there's a hand, an unseen hand that is looking out for you and that is going to come through at some point. So again, I hope I didn't just use somebody's you know, made up story to, to illustrate your point, but I think it <laughs> illustrates hopefully pretty well that that's okay. the background of what we really believe is if you have a faith system, and that's why, again, I started with God and gigs, because if you have yeah. all the success without a purpose and a why behind it, it all just feels empty. And I feel like that's what a lot of creators end up running into that wall of, I got success. Everybody clapped. I go home and I feel empty. Why? It's because they don't have that foundation behind it mm -hmm. to say, this is why it's important. There's significance behind my success. And without that significance, the success is empty. So I believe that's really what you're saying for anybody, not just creatives, anybody who doesn't have that faith system that needs something that, that drives them on. Right. And I thank you, family, for allowing me to just share that little tidbit. And, you know, it, it may challenge somebody out there truly, but, you know, it, this is where we were talking about it real. So I love that this is part of what created and grew God and Gigs to where it is today. Um, something that I really cherish. Uh, I listen to it on a regular now and to the family, you know, go check it out. So let me let me swing us back. Let me swing us back. I really always want to give the family just some tips on, on how to know and understand when their time is for seeking help, for getting support. So sure, what do you share with your community on when, when is the time that they need therapy? Every episode I've done that has anything to do with mental health is always tailored to don't wait any longer. It has been several times, I think, where I have you know, I think the stories that I've used of the podcast that I've done where people have expressed where they went to the bottom and had to fight through it is it doesn't even matter if it mentions mental health or not. Right. It's not about, oh, well, this podcast or this episode or this blog post is about seeking therapy. It's all one big message. You don't need to suffer. You don't need to live in dysfunction mm -hmm. or live in this place of not liking yourself or, or trying to achieve success without knowing who you are and being comfortable with who you are and what God made you to be. So I would hope that that's the message throughout everything I produce is now's the time to seek help. Now's the time to go to get therapy. Now's the time to refuse to just simply live in the, the rat race, I guess you could say, right? Just going through mm -hmm. the maze of creative life and trying to like just be somebody and do something and post and be and be special without being healthy. So hopefully that's the message every time I say something, because again, as I mentioned my personal life, it wasn't until I got help that I realized how much more fun and how much more life and how much more healthy I could be in every aspect of my life, including my career. So that would be my message if I had to say it, you know, is get right. help now, seek help now. Don't wait for the crisis and don't wait for, you know, somebody to, to make you go. Go ahead and go because oh. it's the right thing to do. Hey, family out there, somebody heard that. So, you know, make sure to think on that one. And I also wanted to say, Alan, I think it was your emotional roller coaster. Oh, wow. Yes. Episode. Oh, man, you know, the therapist was drawn to that one. <laughs> I'm, I love that. I probably took on a, a, one of my therapy sessions and just started to rewrite it without even realizing it. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, again, emotional mental health is just part of who we are. And if I'm going to talk to creatives about living out of human existence, I got to go there. And sometimes I feel uncomfortable going there, but if I don't, then you who? have to. Yeah. Right. 
Exactly. And I loved how you were talking about the aspects of making sure that you understand the emotional fervor, right? The fervor, the emotional labor that Mm -hmm. you're talking about inside of how you are as a creative and then how you are when you're not creative, you know, throughout the regulars of life, I think is what you were were sharing, because it's also that process of the inner work. So you dropped a lot of really good, amazing things. And thank you so much for dropping those same um, incredibly valuable lessons here as well. It's been absolutely a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yes. And the family thanks you too. And <laughs> yes, we're exactly we're wrapping up here. I think we could still have more to say. You mentioned something about being long-winded and I warned you. So I warned you <laughs> very, very succinctly. There was a, there was a, there was a fine print at the beginning before I spoke, but thank you again for giving me the chance to open up. That's it's so, so special. I appreciate you so much for, for having this. We platform. appreciated it. Oh, and, and same for you as well. So let me see here. Just the, the last few things is just, you know, curiosities about what feeds you as we wrap up. And one of the things that I always ask is, what's your favorite quote that keeps you going? Um, well, I'll tell you the one that, that comes to mind immediately is um, one by Beethoven. And uh, he was talking about, I guess, the way people saw him as an artist. And he said, I do not desire that you would see me greater as an artist but better and more perfect as a man. Mm. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I love that. But what does that mean to you? How does it feed your soul? I think it, it says goes right to the core of, of why being just a great pianist or why, you know, again, it's the core of who I am. It's not what I create. The core of who I am is in my character and who God made me to be and who I am when I'm not on the stage. And I have to keep reminding myself of that. And I, the reason that quote came to mind is I put it right back up on my Facebook on God of Gigs because I need reminding. And we all need mm-hmm. reminding. As, and no matter what you're in, whatever your you know, work thing is, you need to be reminded that that's not your identity. You are who you are because you're loved by God and you, people love you. And that's enough. And to remind myself of that, and I just need to be better at knowing that. And you know, perfect doesn't mean being perfect. Perfect just means being more of myself and being more authentic. So yeah, it definitely feeds my soul anytime I look at it. And that, that's what it means to me. All right, Alan, thank you so much for being on the show. Lean the family, thank you so much for your insight and for all that you've shared and contributed out to your community, to ours. I know it's going to just benefit the whole world. It, it, it already is. And we have definitely got to do this again. So until that time, we're going to stay tuned to you on your platforms. And where can we find you? All socials everywhere is God and Gigs, G-O-D and G-I-G-S. All right, family. So go ahead and follow to link in. And then in the meantime, we're going to do this again. And we're staying tuned. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Do I Need Therapy? If you did, please tell a friend and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuned in. If you're always on Instagram like myself, come check out my page. I've got lots of tips and tricks on life and mental wellness. Ask me your questions. Plus, tell me what's on your mind, even if you need to figure out if you need therapy. And for my Facebookers and all my Twitter peeps and my Pinterest pinners, I'm online there too. In fact, I'm everywhere at April and Dell. Meantime, I can't wait to chat with you again on the next episode. So, till then, peace, love, and mental wellness. <laughs>